This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. This morning I'm going to be preaching on the quintessential trait of every believer. What's expected for us as believers in Jesus Christ, and as we read this text of Scripture, it'll become rather evident to you what that quintessential trait that I'm going to preach on is about. So let's see the text on the screen as we read, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Say it with me. Faithful. That may be the quintessential trait that I'm speaking of today. Everyone should be found faithful, but for me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from who? God. Will come from God. Let's pray together. Father, today we realize that because of your great condescending love that captured our hearts in Jesus Christ, that you have some expectations for us. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who seek you and come to understand what's expected of us. And Lord, I know this, because you're a faithful God, you expect faithfulness from all of us. And I pray that we would be found faithful. I thank you for the many faithful people that are here today. Even as a couple of ladies gave testimony today, they've been a part of this church for 40 years, 50 years. And Lord, we celebrate their faithfulness to you and to to this precious church. And I pray, Lord, that we would come to understand more fully what's expected of us to be found faithful. So, Lord, capture our hearts once again. Help us to worship you as we ought in spirit and in truth. I pray that you'd be well pleased with all that we do here. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who come to understand and and, and walk in wisdom because we're walking in your way. Help us to go God's way. And so, Lord, help us today to stay on task, to keep walking that straight and narrow path that leads to life that only a few find. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to unpack this text that I read just a moment ago. Um, You know, I think if um, we were to do a profile on a believer in Jesus Christ and what kind of traits a person should possess. I think we all could identify some expectations for believers, the least of which is not love. Matter of fact, on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, a new commandment I'll give God give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, for this shall all men know you belong to me, that you're my disciple if you love one another. And love is certainly the expected trait for every believer in Jesus Christ, but also that we would be people of compassion. Jesus was a compassionate Savior. You read in uh, Matthew chapter 9 that uh, Jesus sees the crowds, and, and they, were, they were weary, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. 
And when he looked over the city of Jerusalem who had rejected him, he had compassion as he wept over the city. We're to be people, certainly, of love that, that manifests itself in compassion. And, of course, we'd be people of grace, wouldn't we? I said just a couple of weeks ago, grace is really the panacea of all of our spiritual needs. Let's, let's call upon grace, because where sin abound, grace does much more abound. For by grace are we saved through faith, and we're to be people of a strong faith. I talked about this just a moment ago in our meeting. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we're to be people who believe who are people, are shaped by our faith. And indeed, we're to be people who, are, uh, uh, who have a forgiving heart. Jesus said, here's how important it is. Whatever measure you forgive, it'll be forgiven to you as well. But I would say the banner over all of these expectations is what we read just a moment ago, and that is relative to faithfulness. After all, someone who is faithful is loyal, they're dependable, they're resilient, they're unwavering. They're people of strong character. They, they usually have this, uh, this, this uh, quintessential trait, and it should be for all of us. Here's what we know. When a person becomes unfaithful, trust is broken, their witness is destroyed, and they compromise their character. But our text defines us and, and certainly describes to us that we're all to be found faithful. For all of us, that's the expectation. But let's back up just a little bit in verse 1, because as, as the Apostle Paul is unfolding this, this idea of faithfulness, he begins by relating himself and uh, the unique calling on his life. And he's simply saying that God had sovereignly called him, and he's referring to this apostolic position, one born out of season. But he's not just referring to himself. You see, it's, a, it's us. It's plural. He's referring to some other personalities that he had mentioned in chapter 1, and that being Cephas, or, or the apostle Peter, and also Apollos. These were men of renown in the early church, and they had served alongside of him in the church at Corinth, that, 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 that church that we know about from having these two epistles, it's about 40 miles outside of Athens. But notice with me how he describes himself in these uber personalities uh, that, that had served in the church. He said, we're simply servants. Verse 1, consider us, not men of power or privilege or intellect, but merely consider us as servants. So we're not after a bunch of praise and recognition. We have a mission, and that is really to serve the Lord through serving in the church. Let me assure you, the attitude that keeps anyone and everyone usable for God is that they understand their call to be a servant. Do you realize how many times the Bible talks in the New Testament uh, and uses that word servant? 58 times. 57 times we read the verb to serve. So we're talking about something here that really is a mega theme, uh, uh, not only in the Bible, but also to be in the life of every believer. Now, there's a couple of words used in the Greek New Testament. One is, is doulos. That's the most popular word. It's translated in the English Bible, bond servant. It's listed and used in that great kenosis passage. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be made equal with God, but he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of, here's the word, a doulos, a bondservant. 
But that's not the word that he uses here. It's not the most popular word, but it's another Greek word that has to do with an under rower, an oarsman, one who would labor in the bowels of, a, of an ancient ship on the sea, and they would, they would motor the ship by their, their manual labor. And obviously, these were people of no social standing. They, they had no seniority. They had no esteem. They had nothing. They were just blue-collar workers working and, and giving up themselves. So it's no wonder that we see the New Testament, New Testament church flourishing in its early days because the Apostle Paul and even those who served alongside him understood what they had been called to do, and that was to stay humble and contrite and void of self-importance or self-focus and to be a servant. Listen, I will tell you, there is a continuum that's taught in the Bible that God re- is repelled by the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt us in due time. You know, I, I'm convinced one of the reasons pastors of large churches sometimes become ineffective and unusable for God is they get a little too big for their britches. And you probably can think of one maybe that comes to mind. But they, they, they find themselves uh, uh, more about self-promotion than they do about simply serving the local church. They like to hang out in the green room, or they, uh, they, 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 they try to avoid people in the church because they, they hate messing with the people. See, ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people, they think. And perhaps it would be, but that's not the point. But they indeed began to relish having authority. And they don't want to do any of the heavy lifting for crying out loud. They want somebody else that they can delegate this to, and that's where they live. And they see people as subservient to them, which is anyone and everyone. But I know what the Bible says in, in Romans 12, 3. But I say to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly as each man has been dealt a measure of faith. I remember hearing this story that has stayed with me about uh, at a Christian university in Indiana, Taylor University. They were pleased to learn that an African student was coming to their school whose name was Sam. And this was really before there was that many international students who came to America and certainly not to the Midwest to a Christian school. So this was a bright young man who had great promise and the school felt honored to have Sam come. When he arrived on campus, the president of the university took him on a tour of the school school to show him the dorms and, and, and uh, the rooms that, uh, that they had available. And when he concluded, he said, where, well, tell me where you would like to live. To which Sam said, if there's a room that no one wants, I'll take that room. The president who had given literally thousands of, of students uh, tours of the school Never had he heard such a response. If there's a room that no one wants, you can give that room to me. And I'm telling you, this is kind of attitude that Paul is communicating here. If there's a job that no one wants to do, I'll do it. I'll take that job. Is there a hardship that no one wants to endure? I'll endure that hardship. If there's a sacrifice that no one's willing to make, I'll make that sacrifice. And I'm telling you, the people who possess that attitude will always be the people that God chooses to use. If you want to be great in the kingdom, Jesus said, you've got to become a servant of all. So he says, here's who we are. We're 
servants. We've got a unique calling on our life, but he doesn't stop there. He says, secondly, we're not only to be servants, we're to be stewards. Stewards. It's a Greek word, oikonomos. It, it literally means to be a household manager. And, and we think about the Old Testament example. We, we've got Joseph who's sold uh, into slavery by his brothers. And there, uh, some Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt, and he's sold in Egypt, and he ends up at the house of Potiphar. And he begins to serve him. He doesn't own anything that Potiphar has, but he is his steward. And that got a little weird and goofy. I don't want to get into that today, except to say what he did was there, he was simply a steward. He didn't own anything, didn't have title deed to anything in that house, but he had a fiduciary responsibility for him because he was working as a servant, as a steward for him. And you and I, when we think about the word stewardship, it usually has several implications. And I touched on this when I preached out of Proverbs 3, that, uh, that we are to be good stewards what all God's entrusted to us, not just financially, but also whatever it is that he gives to us. He gives to us the time that we enjoy, 168 hours a week. And we're to use it productively and beneficially and not squander it. We're to redeem the time because the days of evil. But it's, but it's not just time. It's, it's the talent. It's the giftedness. It's, it's the spiritual giftedness that we are given to us by God, by His grace, these grace gifts and these talents, and they're to be used productively for Him because we steward these things. So we steward the talents and the giftedness that God entitles to us. Maybe to sing. Maybe to serve. Maybe to give. Maybe to go. Maybe to minister. Maybe simply to say with Isaiah, oh, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. And Paul's not talking about stewarding our time, talent, or not even our money here. But you know what he is talking about? Stewarding the gospel message. We're stewards of the gospel. Mousterion is the, is the word that's used there. It means that which one time was concealed now has been revealed. And he's talking about what the incarnation has meant, how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And so what was veiled in the Old Testament now has been revealed in fullness through Jesus Christ in the incarnation. And he said, we steward this. You steward it, and I steward it. The truths of the gospel, that we have the right theology. That's important. We understand the truths of, of, of salvation. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for sin according to the Scriptures, and he was buried. And then on the third day he arose again according to the Scriptures. It's the gospel message. We steward the truth of that. And can I tell you, if you and I stand in the marketplace and we, we, we talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he's the only way to heaven, let me tell you, in this politic, politically correct time in which we live, we will be given some labels that we're bigoted are certainly to say any other uh, religion is wrong or errant, then you and I will be seen as narrow-minded, insensitive, and maybe even a racist, who knows. I read just last year about a situation that was going on in Tennessee, uh, and there was a debate on a school board. And the book that was in debate in Sullivan County was this, that the book attributed that Allah was the same God as the God of the Bible. 
And so there was one, only one lady on the school board that took exception to using a textbook that, that inferred that, that truth. You know, I, when I read the story, I, I, my thought was this. Hey, I thought up there at the school they were supposed to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. What happened to that day? Now we're trying to promote a worldview. We're trying to make some theological statement that the God of the Bible has an equal and they do so, and everybody's numb to it, except one lady, God bless her heart. I'm just telling you, in this political correct culture in which we live, making the assertion that our God is a unique God, He's the God who is, the Creator God, the Redeemer God, the Sustainer God, and no one will be His equal. We indeed will have people who strongly disagree. We steward this truth of the revelation of God. What a privilege it is. What a joy it is that you and I have heard the truth and we believe it and we steward it. We steward the truth, the theology of it, but not just the theology. We, we steward the practicality of it, how we flesh it out, how we live our lives. You know, the Bible says our lives are like letters being read by all men. Man, you're... you're the narrative of your life is, is conveying a message. And we have to convey it. Listen, more things are caught than taught. And, 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 and people seeing a person that's truly committed to Christ, it's, it's capturing. It's refreshing. And it shows to them perhaps the way of salvation. But can I tell you? Where our message gets maligned is when you and I don't behave in the right way. <laughs> it's that simple. The hypocrisy of our lives, and it tells on us that we say we believe, but there's something wrong in how we live. So I'm just simply saying today, let's know it. Let's learn the gospel. Let's love the gospel. Let's speak the gospel. Let's steward the gospel. Let's share the gospel, what's been entrusted to us. But God, help us to flesh it out. Let's live it. We're stewards and we're servants. It's a unique calling, not just on the Apostle Paul, but on your life and my life. I got to move quickly. Secondly, we see this inspirational commitment. Paul says, here's the requirement of every steward, every servant, and it's their faithfulness. You know, I, I can't emphasize this commitment strong enough that faithfulness is so critical in our lives. You know, as I just reflected upon how many times the Bible in the New Testament talks about how we're to be faithful, I, it, it's, it's redundant, but it's needful. In, in conclusion of this book, Paul would say in chapter 15, you've got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't quit, he's saying. In Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter in that book, he said, let's not be weary in doing well, for in due season we'll reap if we don't faint. Let's not quit. Let's be faithful to the end. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin that does entangle us, and let us run with endurance. Let's keep running. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing. Let's be found faithful. So faithfulness gives tangible evidence to the unseen faith 
and that's our testimony. It's our testimony that Christ has made a difference in our life. May that be the banner over our life. We are found faithful. Don't be like Demas. You remember him. The apostle Paul wrote of him in the book of Colossians saying he's a faithful and fellow servant of mine. Only later to write in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Demas has departed because he loved this present world. But do you realize in that same chapter that he, he shares that about Demas, he says about himself, this is the last chapter he wrote, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. But I know this, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, to all of those who long for his appearing. You know what he says, when it's all said and done, here's what I want you to know about me. It's what I told you early on in 1 Corinthians. You've got to stay faithful. And I was faithful. It is the calling on our life. So let's conclude talking finally about what Paul talks about here in these last verses, beginning in verse 3, about the judgment that's coming to every man. He says, but as for me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or human court, or I don't even judge myself. I know of nothing against myself, but I'm not justified by it. He who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And he's going to bring the light to hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. And then each one praise will come from God. He, he, so he talks about judgment, and, he, and he, he mentions judgment four times here in three verses. That this judgment's going to happen. He said, first we're being judged, he mentions, by others, by other people. Hello. Of course they're judging you. They don't even know they're judging you, but they're judging you. And we have a tendency to do the same thing. But he said, look, my self-worth and, and even my effectiveness is really not about how you're judging me. Now, just a little background on what's going on here with, in, the, in, in the epistle of 1 Corinthians. He had rebuked them strongly, as you remember. They were carnal. They were corrupted. They were doing uh, shameful things in the church. And so he probably suspected they're going to be saying some things about him. And he said, look, even if you do, your judgment's not really going to bother me. That's not ultimately what matters, what you have to say about me. You know, I read that and I thought, man, I wish I was that thick-skinned. <laughs> I wish it didn't bother me what people said about me, but it does bother me. And I know it bothers you as well. And I'm not saying we should dismiss on what other people have to say, but I, I do believe when all is said and done that people ought to see us because we were people who cared, who loved, and who acted in a right way. Here's what Titus wrote about God's leader. They're to be hospitable. They're to be a lover of that which is good. That people would have nothing evil to say about them. Listen, while you and I do not labor for the applause of men, I'm like most of you. I hope one day when people judge me, they'll say he was a man without guile. Let's make that our goal. Let's be that kind of witness. Secondly, he goes on to say, I'm, I'm not really that concerned about others. He, then he mentions, I'm not that concerned about a human court. And we all have seen the mistakes and the the courts at every level have made. 
You know, I think about just the 2015 Supreme Court decision, five to four, as they uh, approved same-sex marriage. The court approved it. God didn't approve it. I think about Roe v. Wade, 1973, where abortion on demand was made a, a, a law throughout the nation. God was still saying this. Listen, life has value at every stage. And, and every human has dignity and worth. I, I, I don't know if you read the book or know about the book called Innocent Man. It's a John Grisham book that was written about a murder in, in my hometown, in Fred Overton's hometown, Ada, Oklahoma. The book is about Ron Williamson, and Ronnie uh, had a lot of issues, became mentally ill as a young adult, was a major league baseball player, got drafted, and so it's kind of a good storyline. But he got convicted for the murder of Deborah Carter, and he was sent to Big Mac, the state prison there, and he was given the death sentence. For 12 years, he awaited a death, uh, the death penalty. One time getting within one day of being executed. Then is when the DNA stuff started to surface and come out. And, uh, and so they were able to get DNA from the crime scene, and they were able to test Ronnie, and it's not his DNA. And they let him go free that day. He didn't live probably a couple of months longer. He, was, uh, he, he had a lot, a lot of issues, but he was innocent for the, the, the crime that he committed. A jury had found him guilty, convicted him to die. Sometimes a human court's wrong. Paul simply saying here, look, what others say about me is really not the issue, not even what a human court may say is the matter. And then he says about judging himself. He says, regardless, I do judge myself, but even though I'm judging myself, I'm not justified by what I see about myself. Can we be that objective all the time about judging ourselves? I hope we can. Our conscience helps, but it, it can fool us sometimes. I, I think we're oftentimes like that man in the book of James. Remember, he looks in the mirror, and then he walks away from the mirror, and he forgot what he saw. And we're not always objective, even about our own self, and that's what he's saying. And so he brings it full circle now and says, here's really what matters. I'm laboring faithfully, tirelessly, intensely, morally, because one day I'm going to give an account, all right? It's going to be to God. And here's how intense that judgment's going to be. He's going to bring the hidden things of darkness into the light. He's going to scrutinize in such a way that the intentions of our heart will be evaluated. In the previous chapter, he's talked about the judgment seat of Christ, which every believer indeed will face. Not for our sins, those were atoned for at Calvary, but the judgment seat of Christ for what we've done since we've been saved and will be tested, it says, by fire. And every idle word will be revealed. Every motive will be uh, exposed. So conversely, he said, Here, here's it. The one we better be worried about impressing is not others. It's not a civil judge. It's not even ourselves. Because sometimes our consciences are flawed. But understand, we will give an answer to God. And those, so the pursuit 
of all of this collectively has to be to win his praise. And do you realize the critical evaluation of the praise of God is this? Were you faithful? You remember what the words of Jesus were? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's what I know. Oftentimes in our life, we make bad decisions and we pay the consequences for those decisions. But the grace of God comes in our life and gives us an opportunity to build on a new way and live our life in a different way. As I like to say, it's never too late for a new beginning. It's never too late to be found faithful. It's never too late to put a line in the sand and say, you know, I, I, I tell you, I've made mistakes along the way, but God, I want to be faithful. Forgive my sins. I've seen the error of my ways, and I agree with you about the things that I've messed up. But God, I want to live in right relationship with you. And I will tell you this, his grace and mercy will see you through. Let's be found faithful. Let's honor him in all that we do. Let's be servants. Let's be stewards. Let's be found faithful. Join me in prayer. Lord, today we acknowledge that we're lacking, that we're people, even though we've been set apart uniquely for the gospel and by the gospel, that we aren't all we need to be. Our sin is ever before us. Thank you for the promise that you give in your word. If we confess our sins, you'll be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that you will separate our sins as far as the east is from the west, and you will remember them no more. And so, Lord, we confess our sins to you because you will bear them in the depths of the sea. And, Lord, I thank you for each one that's here today. I thank you for what you're doing in the life of Leewood Baptist Church. And we look forward in anticipation to, to what lies ahead. But, Lord, regardless of what happens, help us to take individual responsibility. Not help, help us not to deflect our own bad choices on someone else, but help us to take ownership that we could walk in uprightness and truth. So God bless us as we go today. Thank you for the privilege of standing once again to say, Thus saith the Lord. May you be well pleased in your church. Is our heart's prayer. Meet every need. Lord, we're reminded of how many people that we know and care about are dealing with COVID. Father, we pray for them today. Heal their sick bodies. And we pray that this pandemic will soon be behind us. And, Lord, we just want to stand in the gap for those. I pray that you'd keep these people who are here safe and give them good health. We pray this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. 
For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.